0: Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a wealthy advertising executive called Sam Foster, who does not like Christmas. One Christmas, he presents his boyfriend, Danny Moran, with tickets to Fiji, telling him that they can spend the Christmas holidays on a beautiful beach. However, Danny is horrified that Sam wants to spend Christmas away from his family. Then he realizes that he's never even met Sam's family. Then he realizes, if he hasn't met Sam's family, Sam really can't be serious about the relationship, so he dumps him. Distraught, Sam goes to his therapist, Dr. Freeman. Dr. Freeman tells Sam to make a list of all the grievances in his life and then to burn the list at his childhood home. Sam does this, but somewhat stupidly it doesn't occur to him that a new family, the Valkos family, now live in that home. In a moment of depression-fueled desperation, Sam offers the Valkos family a quarter of a million dollars if they let him stay for Christmas. They agree, and what follows is as surprising as it is heartwarming is what I would be saying if this was a pod of the classic film, Surviving Christmas. This is, however, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. My name is Danny Moran, and joining me is a man whose dislike of the Yuletide season just might be linked to a tragic past. Sam Foster.
2: I think that these introductions, in a way, in a very roundabout way, pay tribute to the art of trailer making. Because when you just read out the plot like that, it sounds like the most strange, unconnected series of events... Um, and yet, and yet, had you watched the trailer, you'd probably understand the film right away. Absolutely. Um, anyway, in preparation for this week's episode, Danny and I have been knocking back strings of vibrant green smoothies. We um, each spent four hours on a brain gym app, and we've been jolting our brains awake with powerful, almost lethal electric shocks. The point of all that is to... Leave us in peak mental condition so that we can do justice um, in our reviews to a pair of great films, modern classic Moonlight and classic classic Taxi Driver, which was recently re-released. We also will be discussing news of an old movie star coming out of retirement, surprisingly not Michael Caine this time. We ask if a robot is suitable for inclusion in a list of weird crushes, and we round up all the fun we had watching the BAFTAs. Wasn't it amazing when Stephen Fry's mic cut out and he improvised by making an authentic carbonara right on the stage? I take back everything I've ever said about Stephen Fry. The guy is an absolute legend. All that should leave just enough time for me to travel to the BAFTA headquarters in Piccadilly and loudly coo like a pigeon for 15 minutes straight as an abstract protest at the poor quality of the interhost banter at the ceremony. Then I will return home and submerge my head in a bucket of ice water and as a protest at the poor quality of this written introduction which has not made a lot of sense but I wrote it in a bit of a rush Thank you. Films, films, films Films, 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 films Films, lots of films Films, 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 films Ooh, he's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, one, rare films, old films, new films, some John. Ooh, that star Peter Finch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 films movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun.
0: Sam, what do you think of the BAFTAs in general?
2: uh it's kind of boring isn't it (laughs) yeah it was boring it's pretty boring i don't know i think that basically the baftas is these kinds of award ceremonies when they're successful they're like comedy shows they got to have good writing yeah because that's the really the only thing that's going on i mean unless you really really care about who wins what but like
0: does anyone care like that much no i don't know and as the evening goes on the room's filling up with losers yeah, who are people like want to bitter get and
2: angry, people who are desperate to leave. Yeah. The atmosphere is souring as time goes past. So I think that in order like they really have to be making a constant effort to justify their own existence. You could even make an argument that the red carpet stuff is more interesting than the ceremony itself because at least it's like that I mean, everyone laughs at the whole what, who are you wearing kind of stuff, but there's more difference in the dresses than there is in any other part of the evening. That's true. Everything else is super monotonous. So yeah, I don't know. I think I think having Stephen Fry is just continually doing it until he dies is like a mistake. They should try and shake it up a little bit. He's really putting no effort into it whatsoever. His his gags were as anticipated, extremely rote. I'm trying to recall what it was like. There was like, I think maybe the most labored one is when he was introducing Viola Davis to present an award. And he's like, the great actress Viola Davis. um, Such a, a incredible treasure. I want to build a fence around her. And she was in the film Fences. Or something. Good God, it was bad. It was painful. Uh, as for the awards themselves, no massive surprises, I would say. Maybe La La Land didn't get as many awards as was yeah, expected. Yeah, it was quite an
0: even spread over. Yeah, they were quite evenly bills. spread. I mean, um, they got the best picture, best director,
2: which I guess are the and the, best actress. Yes. So, so it like, got some of the most um, prestigious yeah, the ones. The most prestigious ones, but yeah, maybe not as many as they were anticipating, given the uh, uh, the number of nominations that it had. What did you think of the Trump bashing? The so, yeah, political... that's one of the other things is that award ceremonies are getting increasingly political, just like life is, I guess. Everyone, everyone has become increasingly politicized, including celebrities. So people were kind of anticipating there'd be some grandstanding and some soapbox action. There was a little bit of that. I thought Ken
0: Loach's speech was pretty good. Well, here's my point, right? Yeah. I think there was a problem in that Best British Film was quite early on in the ceremony, and as expected and very deservedly, I, Daniel by Daniel yeah, Blake. that was great. That was and then that Ken Loach made a, a very impassioned, eloquent speech, as you'd expect him to do, uh, about the callous and brutal government. But after the legendary 80 year old social realist political filmmaker who's been making films for 50 years about political subjects has made the political speech of the night, everything else afterwards is very redundant. And I thought Emma Stone's bit, which is like, the world's going through a time. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, uh, so, and she's something like, it's so great that people can come together and celebrate creativity. It's, like, yeah, it's just total meaningless platitudes. It's like, yeah. the BAFTAs was not organized by Owen Jones as a protest two days ago. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's every year. <laughs> and so, and it's like, yeah, La La Land, that stirring tribute to nothing. Yeah, exactly, so, exactly, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing that was good about Ken Loach's speech is that it was actually political and when uh celebrities make interventions they usually risk absolutely nothing it's like recycle more watch out for climate change racism is bad you know what and it's like important oh, yeah. important messages but like guaranteed like applause winners you know yeah like it's like a question
0: time audience member you know
2: for viola davis viola davis gave quite an impassioned um speech as well about how fences is important because it highlights the lives of poor black people who are otherwise you know not venerated and stuff and that's like you know it's very worthwhile and she's it was very well delivered and it's obviously something that's like she believes in very very strongly yeah, and it's what the film's about and it's what the film's about exactly so it's like it's i'm not like bashing it at all i'm just saying that like that, that it's become a bit of a routine the kind of passionate speech that has meaning beyond just like Thanks to my family or whatever, but Ken Loach's was rare in that he it actually risked something. Yeah, that is unusual for someone to get up and just like call out the government in that way. I mean, the Americans can do it about their government because that that entire class of people is doing that. Yeah, but it's not it's not the same. It's not true here. So, uh, yeah. So for that reason, I uh, thought Ken Loach's was the highlight. There wasn't anything else that was too barnstorming, right? There wasn't any major other news in terms of the speeches. There was no like Merrill Street moment.
0: No, not really. The only other point I would make about the BAFTAs is that Moonlight got nothing, and it kind of... It got snubbed, but it was kind of snubbed at the nomination stage because it should have got a lot more nominations than it did. It didn't get Best Director. It wasn't up for that much, yeah. But I feel like it missed out on some awards because of some slightly tactical actor placement. Viola Davis is, by all accounts, the lead in Fences, and she's in the Best supporting Actress category, and Death Patel is the lead in Lion, and he was in the Best supporting Actor category. And you think if they would stuck to their actual categories... Marsha Ali and Naomi Harris would be the favourites in those categories.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I so, think it's a bit it's a bit cheeky nominating Dev Patel for best supporting. Yeah, for I, Lion.
0: So I feel like Moonlight's actors were not. Uh,
2: they were screwed. They were a bit screwed
0: by, by the, the system. Yeah, which
2: is appropriate, you might say.
0: Yes. Yes. Given the narrative of award ceremonies, <laughs> <laughs> recently. <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
2: Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Not Shamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep Soska dipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print.
0: A new story that caught my eye this week was this story all about Steve Bannon, the what's his job title now? He is I don't know. He's, he's like a, the White uh, House president, wasn't
2: chief? He's, he's the, the president. president. yeah. Well, he's the the um, sort of narrative is that he's the power behind the throne of the Trump administration. He's like yeah. this ex website crank who's sort of um, intellectual leader of the alt right who's in within the White House. I'm not totally sure what his job is. To be honest, he's like chief uh, press guy or something like that
0: but pretty much like an anti-semite it's been established he's like a
2: white nationalist
0: and yeah uh, a far-right dude he's a bad hombre yeah he's a bad hombre but one of the kind of interesting things about him is that in his capacity as right-wing crank before he got the sudden huge uh, job promotion is that he produced several insane films uh, either tackling the liberal elite narrative uncovering truths perpetuating conspiracy theories and one film which sadly didn't manage to make it to the screen was something he had in the works in 2005 was a movie that was going to be called either the singularity resistance is futile or the harvest of the damned those are all very epic titles aren't they and it's all about the dangers of future technology and the unproduced film was going to focus on human cloning immortality and eugenics and the uh, narrative thrust of the film was going to be drawing a line between the eugenics programs of the uh, nazis to abortions and contraception in uh, modern life right? it's like a sort of far right black mirror basically yeah Yeah. oh you don't mind you're against them killing the jews but you're okay with killing a fetus you nazi yeah exactly but i this story amused me because it's just part of a sort of ongoing it's a weird thing like uh, right-wing politics and arts because they seem like strange bedfellows hmm Uh, well because most people who work in the arts are liberals exactly and you feel that if you're open to ideas and you're a creative person that just transposes into a sort of political sense and right wing ideology and uh, creativity or some seem at odds even though there are exceptions to it and maybe this is like a very maybe Steve Banner will make a documentary about this mindset but yeah like how uh, Goebbels was really into his films but made terrible films but like he was convinced he was making these masterpieces i'll reconsider my political affiliations
2: when one of these guys makes a great film
0: yeah but it is odd you know because like i feel that the nazis you know had a bit more style in the way the alt-right don't you know hugo boss was a talented fashion designer but where is the hugo boss of the alt-right these days
2: absolutely yeah I mean, I have never seen any of Goebbels' movies. Did he make films as well as... He, he made propaganda he, films he produced, and stuff?
0: Yeah, he produced them. I mean, Lenny well,
2: Riefenstahl has made some very good films. Bannon is no Riefenstahl. She's no Riefenstahl. Come on. <laughs> <He> <laughs> you is... can't tell me Bannon's a Riefenstahl. There's no way. No way, mate. Yeah, I mean, the cliche about uh, history repeating itself as tragedy and then as farce, thats itself is quite a trite thing to say, but I just uh, this whole narrative about um, Trump becoming... Uh, Trump being the sort of... Uh, fascist leader and uh, the alt-right being the equivalent of the brown shirts whatever it's like they're such dorks you know they're all fucking like anime fans with the frogs on their twitter profiles (laughs) you know there's these dorks yeah and then the nazis of today have no class whatsoever that's actually one of the things that struck me watching we watched a bunch of trailers for steve bannon movies i by the way i looked up that he's the um the chief strategist in the trump administration oh i see I don't know if that's an official title or if he's just, that's what he does. He's
0: doing a great job, isn't he?
2: Doing a great job. (laughs) Strategy strategy is uh... is really paying off. Um, Yeah, so we watched a few Steve Bannon trailers and they have this very conspiratorial tone. um, Bombastic tone. Very bombastic, very like peeling away the uh, everyday and revealing the truth beneath, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But with, like, sharp cutting. It's like the sort of MTV version of Adam Curtis or something. Yeah, wake up, sheeple. But he keeps cutting in, uh, apparently, like, in any, like, um, subject matter, he just cuts in Nazi footage. Yeah. And, uh, but that seems sort of outdated now. Are you marching? The modern Nazis all love Steve Bannon. Yeah. I think there's something really interesting about absorbing media, which is designed for someone whose brain is the exact opposite of your own. <laughs> We just watched this trailer for Occupy Unmasked, a documentary about the um, uh, Occupy Wall Street protests uh, that was, I think, made in, like, 2011 or something. And uh, there was no content in the trailer whatsoever. Like, it purports to uh, unmask Occupy as not, you know, the radical... A grassroots movement that it claims to be or something but the trader, even that even the trailer was not that clear on the on the subject yeah the main charge seemed to be that it was beloved of media elites like tim robbins and keith alberman <sighs> Ugh.
0: um well, you know tim robbins like something it's bad news
2: yeah but other than the just like having these liberal media hate figures they they didn't say anything about it except that like they wear that scary anonymous mask and i don't know they're just angry or something there's, like, a shot in the trailer of a sign that says cops are bad or, like, fuck the cops what? or something. It's like, what? They don't like cops? I don't know. Unmask them. Like, isn't that what your opinion of them was anyway if you were going to watch this film?
0: I guess, yeah. I guess I agree with what you're saying in this sort of weird, like, anti-authority, pro-authority thing they for. It's like, how dare you denigrate the cops, but the system is flawed, but how dare you attack the system?
2: Yo, yeah, absolutely. There's a real... there's this Like, real... what the fuck? Like... Wait, what's your very position? strange yeah there's a very very strange um conservative radicalism like uh the status quo must be maintained the status quo is trying to kill us all kind <laughs> of thing like i don't like, the government is trying to kill you but like the, the the institution of the police is like perfect yeah you know what i mean like it doesn't make any sense I don't know. I guess we have to watch a few more of these movies. Maybe we have to go beyond the trailers and watch the films themselves in order to fully understand. Let's we watch go-
0: them all back-to-back, back, like in a day.
2: Yeah, let's do that. Let's live-stream that. That's going to be our next live-stream. Danny and I spend nine hours watching all of
0: Steve Bannon's films. <laughs> I like the idea that, you know, I still haven't seen all the Scorsese films, but I've watched all of I Steve, watched all of Steve, Steve Bannon's. Bannon's. i got some holes
2: in my tar- Tarkovsky. I <laughs> haven't seen all the Kubrick's, but uh, yes, I have seen the entire filmography <laughs> of Steve Bannon. Yes, I've seen Torchbearer, and uh, no, I haven't seen Barry Generation Hendon. Zero. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I haven't seen Killers Kissed, but I have seen Occupy and Mast. Yeah, a real film. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me, in a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Well, that was pretty deep and political. Is there more frivolous film news for us to discuss, Sam?
2: No, there's some extremely serious film news. It's much more important, in fact. Tony Erdman, one of our favorite films recently, it's got the film chat, seal of approval. Yeah. Um, And also the seal of approval from basically everyone else. It was a massive hit. And it caught the attention of some Hollywood types who do what they always do when they like films that are in a foreign language, which is just demand that they be remade. Absolutely. Um, One of the things we were talking about in our review of it, and it's been spoken about in other reviews as well, is that the kind of bare outlines of the plot resemble... Some kind of '90s Robin Williams film, and that looking at the structure of the film, you can easily imagine how there would, you know, the Hollywoodified version of it. Yeah. Which, you know, most people mention in order to draw a contrast with the film, which tackles it in a very different way. But apparently, they just want to make that movie. They didn't um, to a
0: review, Sam. Hollywood Let's start a like, film oh, chat.
2: Great idea. Let's actually just do that thing that they were glad that it wasn't. So Jack Nicholson goes the story who turned 80 recently, has come out of retirement. He hasn't made a film in seven years in order to, to star in this remake. He saw the movie and he loved it. And he was like, I want to be that man. This is what it's like when you're a star, you know? Yeah, I
0: just bring up people. I'm like, I want to...
2: If you're just like, oh, I wish I'd been in that film. Wait a second. I can be in the film and yeah, I yeah. will be. Um, he uh, is going to star in the remake opposite Kristen Wiig, apparently. The The producer, according to the news story, is going to be Adam McKay, the director of The Big Short and Anchorman. And Christian Wigg is also producing, and so is Will Ferrell. And Marin Arde, the original director of Tony Urban, is also going to produce. But there's been oh, a couple she, of... She's not, sorry. Well, I was going to say there's been a couple of um, conflicting stories about this, because like, this was the original story, and then today there was this other news story that Bill Murray had passed up the opportunity to be in it. And in that, the the presentation of events was that Christian Wigg had been pushing this, had sent the movie to Bill Murray. He hadn't watched it because he's so, he's so Bill Murray, you know, so he, Bill Murray. He doesn't have an agent. He, j- he just has to like if you send him a DVD, he's just like you know he, he's gonna drop it or do something funny with it, throw it at a bachelor party or something. Yeah. So he didn't get around to watching it for a while, and by that time, Jack Nicholson had climbed on board. And in that story, it was also uh, reported that Marinade was in fact not producing it and had sworn to have nothing to do with it. So it's all a bit yeah. mysterious, you know. What can you You can't trust the news
0: these so days. So the fake news... Fake news. But the facts we do know is that it's definitely Jack Nicholson and Christian Wig. Yeah, those. that's the consistency. The thing is, right... The thing is, right, Sam. Let me, let me break this down to you, Sam. Yeah, break it down right. to me, Danny. Tell, is, me, tell uh, me what's good on. You can't imagine just the exact same film, exactly, just in English, but with those actors. And it's really bad. Absolutely. And... Though I am intrigued by the idea of like super old, intense Jack Nicholson trying to be—he's so old though. He must he's be like, like at least twenty years. How old is the guy in? Um, he's probably he's about like sixty, 60s... isn't he? Sixties. Yeah, he looks sixty. He looks about. He's, pl- he's playing. Like, 60, Jack Nicholson's I think. much yeah. older than that guy. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Jack Nicholson played the Joker, but his Joker was creepy and intense. So, what's he going to be like? I'm Tony you're a man? How's it going? <laughs> Hey, 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 kids! It's me, Tony. It's Tony, Tony Erdman. Also, I think it loses something in. I mean, Kristen Wiig has like got dramatic chops, but uh, the kind of fun of Tony Erdman is watching this like amazing dramatic actress sort of like find these uh, comedy moments. Yeah, and, like if you're not what if you were watching Kristen Wiig, you're just waiting for the comedy to happen. Yeah, absolutely. In a absolutely, way we should undercut yeah. it, I think. Well, the, it's a little bit like something like
2: Skeleton Twins, where her and Bill Hader play twins who it's like mostly traumatic film but it has like moments where they cut loose and are like comic yeah and that's a really good movie that's a good fun and the bits where they are funny are hilarious but it is like watching saturday night live performers you know like they're not like regular people they're like professional you watch them like these guys should be professional comedians they're hilarious um (laughs) And uh, I think that that's what you would lose in doing the remake this way is that when she does funny stuff, it just feels like she's relaxing into her wheelhouse rather than making herself
0: incredibly vulnerable and doing something really daring, which is what it feels like in the movie. Yeah, absolutely, I also think that her deadpan is so good that like when she turns up in the Martian, I'm waiting for the joke. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And say I think like it only works. She only works as a dramatic actress if the entire film is completely dramatic. Like if it's like a bit funny, then like you were saying, it, like
2: inside of... she's always thinking this is stupid. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know. As
2: remakes go, at least it's sort of weird. You know, like mm. I'm not sure. Well, rather Jack this than, is. Um... I mean, Bill Murray is on the face of it and more makes more sense because he resembles in his manner that kind of like weary, sad clown thing. It's much more like the guy in Tony Erdman. Yeah, yeah. But the Jack Nookson casting is much stranger. So like that makes the. Do you movie think it's going to be like a
0: sort of? Alexander Payne, Sophia Coppola. Well, Alexander Payne was well. Yeah, he was tossed around. I think he was in the um, the news story
2: um, about Bill Murray. Mentioned Alexander Payne because he directed Jane Oxen and about Schmidt, and he also worked with Christian Wig before. So there was some right. His name was being mooted. Oh, mooted. He is. Yep, Ah. was being mooted. Um, So we'll see. I mean, there are aspects of this movie that do not lend them lend themselves to remake. For example, its length and some of the scenes at the end. I don't really know how you would do the Hollywood version of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll sort of watch with curiosity. I saw a Kermode video today where he was lamenting the entire resistance to this thing, and he was like, Jack, leave it alone. Don't do it, Jack. Um. Well, well consider the product, so pr- product it is cancelled. Jack doesn't want to upset Mark. Um, But I don't know. It is a bad idea, I think, but it'll be a fun one to watch it unfold. Absolutely.
0: Like, do you reckon? No, I got a great closing point. Oh, go go oh, for it! Like, like it's it's a bad idea happening in real time, and I'll be like watching the original Tony Obman where, like the awkwardness ratches up, and it's funny. That's what's like the news story is like.
2: You're right. It's things will escalate in a way that's hilarious. Yes, the meta narrative will be the real remake. What a
0: seamless summation of the news story I just did there. That Ooh. is good, Radiate. That is damn that's good, Radio. That's gonna got us our fifth listener right then and there.
2: BAM! Sam and Danny both watched a film And they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw You're gonna hear them in a moment or so There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close A joint review shared between two podcast brothers Do they let one another speak? Or do they interrupt each other? The light is on The guys are in So let the chat BEGIN!
0: So, Moonlight has finally arrived on UK Shores. It is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot of awards buzz behind it. Yeah. I saw it many months ago, and I was like, it's great. I can't wait for it to come out. Yeah, come you've out. been
2: nattering about it nonstop. You came out of the LFF, um, and you were raving. I was raving. You were, you were stark raving, naked about it.
0: Absolutely. So, it's a film... Best experience with as little information as possible. So we're going to talk as much as the trailer gives away. So it's about this kid called chiron living in Miami in the eighties. Must be starts in the eighties. I guess so. Yeah, it's not entirely clear. And his mother is played by Naomi Harris, and it charts his uh, life uh, growing up. You uh, know, growing he's, up he's like you know from a boy through to adulthood. A boy through the adulthood, and Naomi Harris uh, is addicted to crack. And it's about him sort of navigating his life with all these uh, issues, these problems kind of facing him. It's sort of like it's an old one because it's on one hand very familiar, but very different. It's not very plot driven. I think that's what makes it hard to offer a, you know, pre-review summary. But anyway, anyway, here is a clip of Chiron uh, as a young boy talking to Juan, this uh, father figure character played by Marsha Ali. I was a wild little shorty, man. Just like you. running around with no shoes on, the moon was out. This one time, I run by this old, this old lady, I was running, hollering, cutting a fool, boy. This old lady, she stopped me. She said, running around, can a
2: see that light.
0: In moonlight, black boys look blue. You blue. That's what I gonna call you. Blue. Say your name, Blue. some point you got to decide for yourself who you want to be can't let nobody make
2: that decision for you so part of what makes moonlight so exciting is that it feels it's got all the, the individual elements of it are very familiar but it's all put together in a way that feels extremely new and it kind of wins its way into your consciousness it's a very unusual film structurally and tonally and it's great to see that it's really capturing people it's one of those films that is making no concessions to commercialism whatsoever, but is such an open hearted and tender film that it's really exciting that it's found an audience. And I think it's like done pretty successfully in yeah. the US. I'm not sure how, how it's done over here, but it's one of those movies that it feels like a kind of art film, but it also doesn't feel like uh, a film that the people who are depicted in the movie wouldn't want to watch. You know? yeah
0: there's nothing difficult about it there's
2: nothing difficult about it exactly and the the way that these people's lives are shown um, is uh, rather than being harder to come at than a more traditionally structured film feels like a fresh and true way of showing their lives that would connect you know that connects deeply with you it's it's interesting because it's covering a lot of the subject matter it lends itself to issue based movies yeah this kid grows up in poverty. And the entire cast is black, obviously, and the film makes no bones about the racial discrimination that exists in the US. He deals with violence at school. His mother is addicted to drugs. And prison is another element of the story as well, which is obviously a huge um, structural problem for black um, Americans. But the film is not at all preachy. It's extremely... It doesn't feel like it's shying away from the issues, but more that its attitude is so gentle and optimistic really that it doesn't want to like punish you to make you realize how horrible things are it's much more like inwardly focused than that
0: yeah i think the difference is to similar stories that have the same subject matter is that the characters are often sort of um apologised apologised yeah in that it's kind of seen as part of a system, and I guess like before this movie, when I think of like black poverty youths, I'm thinking like The Wire or something, which perhaps isn't the best point of comparison because that's all about contextualizing everything. But this one's the focus is purely on the characters, and all the issues that face them are sort of around in the background, and it's not really about the issues, but it sort of is. It's just like it just trusts you and your characters, and you're like you're with them, and it focuses on their humanity so much, yeah, that I think, all this yeah. stuff just as part of the course it doesn't need to emphasize anything because the characters just lead you through it i think i think that the the sort of operative word is humanity
2: and that in movies that focus on structural problems they inevitably make ciphers of their characters in a way yeah and it's not doesn't make the movies bad necessarily i was thinking about this movie in a way um in comparison to a film like i daniel blake which is a very political film which has very directly political purpose and wants you to learn some very specific things about the British state as you're watching the movie. And that is fine. You know, that's not a criticism of the film at all. But in Moonlight, the the focus is on learning about like human nature in a way. And uh, it's, it's just very, it's like laser focused on the humanity of these people and is full of subtlety and nuance. And the whole film feels like it's kind of, Um, an exploration of the guy who's discovering himself as he grows up and it's like, constantly um, learning new things about himself and reflecting on himself. And the the film is kind of taking you on that same journey as an audience. Yeah. Um, And
0: it's really cleverly structured and intricately structured in a way that constantly subverts your expectations. And where the stories break are quite... You don't really see them coming. And my experience of watching it was... Uh, I sat on a watch it, and then it was like over, and like the timer just completely passed. And when it ended, you're like, "Oh, is that it?" But then you're like, "Of course it's that's it." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's this like unconventional approach in the writing is reflected by Barry Jenkins' direction, and it's got this really impressionistic uh visual grammar to it. It's like an art house social realist movie, right?
2: I mean, it's like it's it's a social realist subject matter, but it's. In, in the same way that it is uh, so, like, obsessively focused and interested in humanity, it, like, portrays all of that stuff as beautiful. It's, like, yeah. beautifully photographed and quite stylized as well. So it's, like, starting to watch. Kind of reminded me a bit of Girlhood, the way that it's directed, uh, that movie about um, young girls growing up, black girls growing up in the suburbs of Paris. And that's another film where they're, they're poor and they're struggling day to day, but things that they do take on a kind of epic quality. They're, they're, they're yeah. very, very cinematic.
0: Well, it's just the idea, like, you don't have to make the movie ugly and show the day-to-day horror of, like, poverty to make that point. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's yeah. like, you don't, it, it's not necessary. You know, like you just, it just infers that and then focuses on not stuff that you haven't seen before, which kind of gives the movie such a refreshing take. I think that it, the,
2: yeah, the style of it is really interesting because it, it, it doesn't like, I mean, I agree with what you said, but I don't like the, I think that it's not that the film is like, you know, oh, don't, don't worry. Looking at poverty doesn't have to be bad. Here's a beautiful image, you know, but it's like all of those images serve a purpose in the story, you know, like it's got this very interesting, the soundtrack is really interesting is it's this real mix of different musical styles um from there's like hip-hop tracks and like um like orchestral music and and it's all laid out with no sense of hierarchy between those different styles or it's just that they're all like evocative in specific moments i don't know i find it a bit hard it's one of those films are like i, f- I find it a bit difficult to talk about without like drifting into some kind of like new age reverie <laughs> about um how we're all connected or something
0: yeah um the film got a bit snubbed at the BAFTAs. No director nomination for Barry Jenkins is ridiculous. It's crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. But something which even the most racist of voters uh, have failed to ignore is how good the acting is. And Marshala, Ali and Naomi Harris have got nominations. But ev- universally, everyone is brilliant in it. Yeah. And there's some very clever casting and like, actors playing the same role who don't look very similar, but just somehow have imbued the spirit of the previous person's performance there's this kind of
2: there's some kind of like um notion in the film about the sort of flexibility of human identity yeah in a way and so having these actors play the same different actors play the same characters who don't re- resemble each other particularly just feels like it's all part of the spirit of the movie I, it's one of those films that I hope launches several careers, you know. I mean, even if this doesn't sweep the Oscars because La La Land is taking up too much room with its giant song and dance, it's it's a film where everyone in it, you watch and you want to see what they do next. Uh, Mahershala Ali is someone whose career is kind of taking off anyway, but he's like absolutely mesmeric um, presence, he's a real movie star, and Barry Jenkins is a super exciting director.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. It's gotta go made back and watch such, previous um, movie. Supreme Confidence as Absolutely,
2: well. yeah. It's it's one of the most confidently made films um I've i I've seen recently. And it's so I think part of it is that like it's such a quiet, gentle film, but it feels like it's got such like craft that's Absolutely. gone into it. I think if you, if you talk too much about it, you definitely turn into one like a talking head in a 100 Greatest Films documentary, you know.
0: It's just... imbued with came passion out, and we intimacy. couldn't believe what we were seeing. It was so incredible. Yeah. It blew people away in the screening I watched. I think, well, I was fortunate because, like, the hype I hadn't built in. So, like, you know, you read the blurb, you're like, it's probably going to be a very worthy drama. A drama. very worthy drama. That's what I like to call... Worthy drama. It's a very worthy drama about issues and that. <laughs> and then you watch it like oh shit that was incredible i think that the the hype is something to bear in mind when you see the movie because it
2: it isn't or it certainly wasn't for me anyway it's not like a loud film that already announces its own greatness you know you just have to like yeah it's not like mad max fury road i think you've got to put your preconceptions aside we're into just the cinema. let it. just let it wash away adopt a calm and uh open frame of mind absolutely um what can you do to relax just put a warm dry towel around your neck and um <laughs> look pretty wind the cinema but trust me isn't it nice when when towels are warm um yeah i don't know and Let's do some of like that i can't think of anything else Get, so, put, yeah. put put your feet in one of those bars where they the fish nibble away the toxins um so get yourself
0: a warm towel and a little, and a, little a little dish popper. of fish. A little fish dish. A little fish dish. And then we'll go watch Moonlight. Yeah, they go watch the Moonlight. That's the film chat advice.
2: My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So, Taxi Driver, a classic film. You've probably heard of it. No. Um, well, I hadn't heard of it before I watched it when I was 16. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's one of the – it's definitely in the canon of great movies, I think, indisputably. Um, It's um, part of Scorsese and De Niro's uh, great films they made together, Um, and uh, De Niro's performance is obviously very iconic. He plays the titular taxi driver, uh, Travis Bickle, a uh, lonely, alienated, bitter ex-army guy. Um, is it is
0: he is explicitly he's got like PTSD or something like that or is he? Well, it's never like, explicitly said, but he was dischar- honorably discharged from the Marines.
2: Yeah, um, so he's a bit like Rambo. He's left the army. He's got yeah. troubles. He's in New York City and um, driving his taxi, hating everybody, and he becomes obsessed with a uh, woman called Betsy, who works for a local senator on the senator's campaign, played by Sybil Shepherd. Um, and in the course of his Travelling around New York He also encounters J.D. Foster As a um, terrifyingly young Prostitute called Iris And Harvey Keitel As the awesomely named Matthew Sport Higgins Who's a pimp dude Yeah And here is a clip of Travis Going into the campaign offices And asking Betsy out Would you like to come Have some coffee and pie with me? Why? Why?
1: Yeah I'll tell you why I think you're a lonely person. I drive by this place a lot. I see you here. I see a lot of people around you. And I see all these phones and all this stuff on your desk. That means nothing. And then when I came inside and I met you, I saw in your eyes and I saw the way you carried yourself that you're not a happy person. And I think you need something. And if you want to call it a friend, you
0: can call it a friend. You're going
1: to be my friend?
0: Yeah. Classic. Paul Schrader dialogue. Thank you, Schrader. <laughs> Thank you, Schrader. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. I um, had an interesting experience re-watching it because I watched it in my teenage years. That's the last and... time I watched it. Okay, so we're going to have a decade-spanning uh, perception off. Yeah. Here. And uh, when I first watched it, I sort of could appreciate it for like what it was, but I don't think I really got it. And then I watched it again And I'm like, okay, this is one of the best ones I've ever made. This is incredible. And I kind of feel I wish I'd watched Taxi Driver in my mid twenties in the same way you should read Catcher in the Rye when you're 16. Like, there's something about it. You mean that you wish you watched it for the first time? Uh, Exactly. And I found it slightly terrifying because, like, Travis Bickle is 26, and uh, I found myself. You're 26. uh, And I'm 26, and my real name is Travis Bickle. (laughs) Um, and I found myself really relating to the character which i think is one of the very clever things about the script is that it's sort of he's very relatable and completely alien at the same time and well, wasn't it kind of autobiographical that of paul, schrader? paul schrader was kind of writing it about his own life at the time yeah and it's very much just about i don't know if this is like a mid-20s thing or just a general human experience but of just the ideas of loneliness and being at odds with your environments and uh self-hatred none of which i have to the extremes of travis bickle not bickle levels not bickle levels but i mean that's just a general uh human thing I and it say, really yeah. captures
2: yeah that actually one of the interesting things about being in your mid-20s i think is that it's not possible to tell this stage in your life whether the anxieties that you have are a feature of human existence or of your 20s yeah know what i mean because you haven't had enough like non-university experience to know that's not related to the movie that's just a bit of. <laughs> Self reflection from Sam injected <laughs> into the podcast.
0: Thank you, Sam. No worries. I hope I'll, st- I'll still be here if you need any more of that. And I think basically it is the best first person movie ever made. And every movie now about a first person narrative sort of is in the shadow of Taxi Driver. And its use of voiceover is so brilliant because. It immediately situates him as sort of he's living his life in the third person. He's so removed from everything, but also it's really intimate. But at the same time, full of contradictions from the opening scene. And it's a movie that really rewards repeat viewings because there's so much content in every scene. And the film plays this kind of trick where you kind of you think you get Travis Bickle, but then you sort of don't. But once you sort of got a handle on him, you watch it for the second time, and all the little moments have been much like Moonlight. Have been they're in there. And you start to pick up on things. There's like a bit where he calls Betsy about giving, uh, sending her some flowers. Like, have you got my flowers? And the next scene are like the flowers rotting in his flats. Like, has he ever? Did he ever send those flowers? Like, right. how how nuts is he? And uh, I think the Bernard Herman score kind of sums up what's so brilliant about the moving away because there's this really melancholic, lonely saxophone part, and then this really violent undercurrent of percussion. Something's going to explode and they kind of ebb and flow throughout the film, and that's kind of what the movie is. Yeah. It's got to be one of the, like, best career caps of all time. Yeah. He, he, Herman's final score. Yeah, he, like, submitted it, it, and then he do- was dead two days later. I read some story where, like, Scorsese was, um, when he was in pre-production, and he was, like, thinking about the themes of the movie, and he, was, like, he wanted to be, like, really tense, and he's like, oh, I'll just get Hitchcock's guy. The psycho guy. <laughs> the psycho guy. That was tense. That was tense. Well, is the Jaws guy available? No, well, that <laughs> film hasn't been made says
2: he's such a hack isn't
0: he who's <laughs> the uh the shower guy the stabby shower the shower guy. you
2: know with the scary stabby music <laughs> i wonder that but shooty my shooty film yeah there was a racial element in the script right that was changed in the movie there's uh harvey cartels in it as this like pimp character
0: yeah and in the script he was black he's black yeah well i guess the problem is the film is about a racist like travis bickle is definitely racist yeah and there's this whole thing about how he deliberately goes to harlem and underprivileged areas and places where there's crime purely to feel superior to it because he hates himself so much that's what's so brilliant about the you talking to me point in the movie is because like it's the pinnacle of the f- film where like his self-hatred has reached the point where he's literally arguing with himself in the mirror yeah and it's a sort of brilliant bit of iconic acting which intersplices with the scripts but then I guess it's the sort of problem where, like, your film is sort of from the point of view of a racist, but if all the characters in the film are then, obviously, these negative portrayals of black people, because it's from his point of view. If the character of Javier Hotel was black, and he just killed black people in it... Then it's... Well, yeah, it's dangerously close to sort of falling down style, like... Yeah, is it a horribly, politically really horrible film, that way?
2: Well... I guess in order to be psychologically convincing it's got to tread a careful line if you're inhabiting the world of someone who's borderline sociopathic as well as being, you know, racist kind of bigot guy then it's easy for the film to just replicate those values. Yeah. I don't know. I mean it it's part of a like feeling about New York in the 70s anyway, right? That it was like full of crime and it was this sort of, like, miserable, dirty, cynical time of conspiracy thrillers. One and day, a real rain will
0: come and wash off the real God, Yeah, yeah. Travis
2: Bickle says. Yeah, but, like, the, the the Travis Bickle's mood is not out of step with the national mood. Yeah. So it's not the portrait of somebody who's completely alien to society, but it's somebody who's very much part of society. And so what, what you were saying about well, identi- it's sort of- identifying with him, it's like... You, know, you wouldn't identify with his like social values but they're they're representative of people like it's not well it's, it's just not a... an aberration
0: yeah it's just like he is completely lost and so hes sort of like clung on to this almost like biblical moralizing does, uh, does it feel like um you know almost politically relevant film because that mode of
2: feeling uh, alienated and turning to hatred and violence seems pretty apposite at the moment yeah You're seeing a lot of that Kind of thing, and also Absolutely. just like turning the blame on the sort of weakest, most vulnerable people.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, staggeringly deep and thoughtful movie. Staggeringly, staggeringly. Well, I think like you know, the first time I watched this, all kind of skim as like, ah, oh, he just he's like a sort of weird guy drives about and gets a cool haircut, and he's kind of weird. And now I'm like, okay, this is a incredibly plotted and written movie which has a lot to say about the human condition. I'm an idiot when I was a teenager. Now I totally get Why it. Why didn't I get it when I was
2: only fourteen? Um, yeah, well, it sounds like it's the perfect time to revisit it. Is it still out in the cinemas? It's out in the cinemas. If you just
0: Google Taxi Driver London, you'll find it. Just Google Taxi Driver and <laughs> get a taxi to the nearest screening of Taxi Driver. And just say, please, Cabby, to the nearest screening of Taxi Driver.
2: Yes. When Jack heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? Film child. When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Short Jack that he had enough, which record did he choose?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Regular correspondent Olivia Waring got in touch to link us to a fascinating article, an Evening Times list of 25 weird crushes. They're so weird. They're so weird. Nobody would fancy these men, normally. It's
2: conceptually an odd thing, isn't it? Because you're really damning someone with faint praise to yeah. be
0: admitted to this list. You are top of my weird crushes. I don't want to admit it in public, but I would burn Why you. would anyone want to bone you? But I do. Exactly. It's an odd one. Olivia writes, Dear Film Chat, I find it very disturbing that a robot from Rogue One... Which I confess I have not seen has made number ten on Heat magazine's top twenty-five weirdest UK crushes from 2017. Oh, so is a Heat magazine list which The Evening Times has reported, reported on. Yeah. Perhaps even more disturbing than the fact Ed Sheeran came in at number three. Please reassure me that K2SO deserves to have come six places above Dean Gaffney, so I don't have to organise a nuclear genocide. Yours, Olivia Waring. P.S. I can't even talk. P.S. 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 Chief Bogo from Zootopia, number twenty-two. A sexy, um, what was he? He was a buffalo. A buffalo. But he was voiced by Idris Elba, he's very sexy. So you're
2: probably associating the human sexiness of Idris Elba with the buffalo sexiness of Chief Bogo. Yeah.
0: K2SO uh, is a weird one.
2: Well, I mean, I guess the thing behind... Isn't, is not this just a list of people who you like, even though they're not considered to be handsome? Isn't that just what it is?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
2: Unlike K2SA, he's a fun, funny robot. I couldn't, like, have sex with him because he doesn't have a penis, but... But very handy around the house. I still fancy him. Yeah, it's just, like, a list of guys... Go- I think that if you... If the headline was, like, the here's 25 people that people like, then that would be... That would make total sense of
0: it. Still, wouldn't explain why Piers Morgan's number twenty-five.
2: That's true. Or Simon Cow. Those are both a bit confusing. I think that it's a real kick in Aziz Ansari's balls that he is behind Ricky Gervais in this. Uh, Ricky on this Gervais. List. Yeah. Ugh. Who's?
0: Dean...
2: <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have told you that. Who's Who's <laughs> Dean
0: Gaffney, by the way? You know, from EastEnders, used to be on it. Oh, he's another EastEnders guy. He had the dog Wellard. I'm watching um, films, sister. I
2: can't watch this lowbrow culture I'm watching highbrow culture for, you know, very intellectual types
0: Yeah, of course Anyway, this list um, kind of made me think about my weird movie crushes I also have a bit of, I have a few weird crushes actually Which I would. There's a
2: few films I watch and I'm a bit like, oh I fancy this person I'm a little bit anxious I wouldn't want to say to mm. anyone because they think I was weird But it's a
0: real turn on watching them in the film that's how i feel as well oh, okay i'm just gonna cross my legs but i feel that i'm basically best friends with all the listeners so it's fine if i just admit my weird crushes to them i hope they don't think we're weird um shall we alternate or shall i just i, I just you...
2: want you to take me through your list and then i'll take you through my okay. list
0: um kirk douglas but now <laughs> i didn't fancy how old him. is he he's a hundred years old <laughs> I didn't fancy That's him old last year, but this year three digits. You're a three digit man. He's a three digit now. Yeah, Gimli. Gimli. Um, yeah, sure. He says nobody tosses a dwarf. That's but a I pretty sexy
2: line, isn't it? Toss off that dwarf. You want to break that taboo? Oh yeah. Toss the dwarf.
0: Absolutely. What's also...
2: your f- What's the sexiest thing about Gimli?
0: Oh, you want me to pick just one? Yeah. The sexiest aspect. The beard. The
2: beard, obviously, it Something is Something to hang on to. Yeah. Um, when Kevin,
0: Kevin, the bird from Up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that is yeah.
0: Really does it for me.
2: Sure, it's got a cool sounding voice. Yeah. The way his neck
0: swoops. Oh God. Ah, oh, so weird and yet so understandable. And um, finally, Doomsday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the giant like indestructible orc from uh batman v superman
0: that was one of the most erotic cinema experiences of my life when it's he turned a, well, up i was like hello
2: let's be honest it's pretty phallic isn't it he ends up being pierced by like a giant spear while he
0: pierces someone else i defy anyone to watch that scene and not to get a semi not yeah not get a chub on <laughs> major chub on while i was watching that my brain was like this is completely incoherent but he my does dick swell was like, doesn't he Yes, yeah. yes, mate. Like, he sparks with power.
2: He swells up. Oh yeah, he belches energy. It's very erotic. Jesus, Jesus. <sighs> yeah. Sorry, just give me a moment. You take a moment to process your horniness at the thought of the Sorry. Batman. The Batman Sorry. walk.
0: Where where were we? What are your what are your weird crushes? Here are my
2: weird crushes. All right. Firstly, number one, Eve from Wally. like the a robot egg. egg a giant vibrating egg. You know the reference in Annie Hall to the, where he's like, how do you make your relationship work? And the guy's like, a large vibrating egg. Yeah. I laughed because it was a joke when I saw it. Having seen Wall-E, that scene is not funny anymore. It's just relatable. Uh, I just want to take the huge white apple Steve Jobs egg into my bedroom and, I don't know, just rub it all over. Cover it in oil. and Just rub it around. (laughs) Um, sure here's my number two weird crush the mutant poodles from the 2003 hulk directed <laughs> by ang lee do you remember uh yes like hulk's nemesis is his own father because there's some Oedipal aspect to the story and he uses the same technology that created the hulk or whatever but on poodles <laughs> they turn into like well what some might describe as grotesque but that i would just describe as like for the vitality, just powerful, muscular, comforting beast slavering with uh, friendliness and uh, sex drive, sex appeal, um, and I want them. I want them around me. That's my number two weird crush. Number three, the bathtub slime monster from Ghostbusters 2. Um, of course, in the iconic scene in which which is intended to be terrifying, but for me it's erotic, in which Sigourney Weaver is bathing her child. She turns on the taps in her bath, and instead of water, a beautiful kind of lustrous pink uh, thick liquid comes out. Viscous. Viscous, and it forms into a kind of giant tongue and tries to lick her. Come on. Whoa. Whoa. If I'd been directing it, let's just say the scene would have gone a very different way. (laughs) Um, and then finally, my fourth weird crush, the trash compactor from Star Wars. It's a weird crush. It's a bit of wordplay, my final one, but also it is very sexy. It crushes that trash so well. <laughs> and there's a bonus weird unidentifiable tentacle creature inside it. That was pretty hot. And I want. that's how I like my women. I like my women able to crush me alive and with a bonus unidentifiable (laughs) tentacle creature inside them. That's what I look for in a chick.
0: Well, we can't argue with that.
2: Yeah. So that's my that's what I'm going to be thinking about this Valentine's Day, which is the day on which we're recording this. Although it'll be a distant memory by the time you listen to this. Yes. Yes. So that's it, guys. Film chat is done now for this week. Next week, we will be reviewing something. We're not quite sure yet. There are a few options. Hidden Figures is an Oscar-y film that uh, will be out. We might check that out. Kind of want to see John Wick Chapter 2 so I can see him shoot a few dudes. Uh, Maybe Fences so we can see Denzel do his thing.
0: Yeah. It's it's an exciting time. We've got to get up on the awards movies.
2: Yeah, yeah. there's a a few things happening, so join us then. Um, And I hope that you had a lovely Valentine's Day. Uh, and that you will have, you know, lovely days subsequently. As do I. Good night and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. I mean,
1: he's so blatantly stupid. He's a punk. He's a dog. He's a pig. He's a con, a bullshit artist, a mutt who doesn't know what he's talking about, doesn't do his homework, doesn't care, thinks he's gaming society, doesn't pay his taxes. He's an idiot. Colin Powell said it best, he's a national disaster, he's an embarrassment to this country. It makes me so angry that this country has gotten to this point, that this fool, this bozo, has wound up where he has. He talks how he wants to punch people in the face, well, I'd like to punch him in the face.